the children of God, and we've got uh, Matthew 6, verses 1 to 18 read. Uh, I'm sorry that wasn't on the recording, but uh, there we are. have the thing in front of you. And let me ask you a question by showing you a picture and asking you, what is wrong with that picture? Take a good close look, and you will see from the very front buildings, Abigail, what's wrong with the picture? It's what? It's two halves, yes. There's a street in the middle. Let me give you a clue. It's a film set. It's got no roofs. What else has it not got? It's just the front of each wall. Can you see? Nothing of substance. It's just a town and everything you see is full of buildings, but you only see the front of the buildings. And the buildings look impressive, but you pop around the back and each building is empty. Now, instead of buildings, I want you to uh, see people. And look at the front, and you'd be very impressed. They're cutouts. Now, go around the back, and it's empty. Here's the last picture. This one I want you to imagine. Imagine you are one of those cutouts. And the point I want to make is actually there's always a front we want to put in that is very impressive. And so the image people see of you is always perfect. The most important uh, bit of furniture in your room is the mirror. Grow older and other important things come into the room like the photographs of you perhaps at graduating at graduation or maybe getting some prize or collecting a medal from a race. Uh, not everybody uh, has pictures of uh, the impressive um, exam results, but I have pictures and prizes of me winning races. I can even run faster than a Kenyan. And the pictures of graduation and uh, achievement go with the mirror show how great you are, part the front. Grow older, and now people have to go outside your house to see the front, because they see there the car parked in the drive, uh, the house that you live in, and people will look at those things from the front, and they'll be very impressed. But my friends, it's a lifetime of slavery building fronts to impress other people. And it's not good for us. I bought this book. I recommend it. It's a cheap one, Fiverr, from, uh, written by a man called Matt Fuller, who was uh, one of my students when I was at Dagenpah Church. And uh, he's now uh, a pastor in Mayfair. And he's wrote this brilliant book called Be True to Yourself. And he says in it that one in eight people under 19 have a mental health disorder. Um, <clears throat> I don't know how, what, the, what, the, what the over 70s uh, stats are like. Uh, one in four girls, 17 to eight, 19, suffer with mental disorder, many self-harm, and some attempt suicide. Have you got your 17, aren't you? You walk into a classroom and one in four children 
are going to be uh, suffering in that way. Apparently, the UK government is introducing compulsory lessons for four-year-olds on how to handle depression. Because it destroys us to live for other people. And this part of the Bible, Jesus comes and he tells us things that will do us good for anybody who is four and upwards. And here's the one thing that he tells you. Live for one person, not the crowd. And make that one person be him. And you will find a new life. But be careful, because we can say that we're doing things for him, but still do it for others. So in these three examples that he gives, we can say we are doing things for him. We give, we pray, we fast for him. We say that, but even then, we do it for others. And in this sermon, Jesus is talking in chapters 5-7 to about God making brand new people. Let me tell you tonight, he is going to make brand new people out of us, making us deeply generous prayerful and absolutely reliant on God. Okay? There's three things in order. And the first one is generosity. Now I'm hoping you like the picture. It's a cardboard cutout and you can stick your head in the middle and you can look good. Right? Now I have to say Mr. Generous because that's the I couldn't get a girl a girl's picture like that and I probably would have been arrested on the internet if I tried. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what the search criteria would have been if I was trying to get a, a picture like that for girls. But anyway, Mr. Generous, and uh, you can imagine yourself. And the front impresses people, and we do it for the praise of others. Look at verse 2. That uh, you give to the needy, as the hypocrites do, that they may be praised by others. Let me give an example. What do you make of comic relief? Now it is for good causes, isn't it? But if the causes are good, why don't we just give to the good cause? Why do we need the television camera? Because most of the television camera is on people raising money. And without cameras, there'd be less generosity. But with the cameras, what you're seeing is that people are generally giving to themselves. It's ultimately their moment in the sun, and everybody loves it. It's for them that they ultimately do the hard work. Who gets the money comes next, second. It's a bit like people in a sports match. You see them in a sports match, don't you? The television camera looks at the crowd... And you see suddenly people, people see that they are actually in the camera lens and they start doing this, usually facing the wrong way because the camera's over there. And they're facing the screen where they can see themselves and the camera's looking at them from over there. And you see that happening? Well, what Jesus is saying in this part of the Bible is, look, capture that motivation, but do it for just one person. So do it to impress your father. And that's how Jesus describes God. Because the minute you call God your father, then what you are describing is somebody who is very generous to you. And in your generosity, what you're saying is, 
waving your arms, you're saying, let me be like you. Using some of the generosity that you have given me. That's why verse 1 starts by talking about practicing your righteousness. We'd normally say, when we're talking about praying and fasting and giving, we are talking about practicing our religion. But righteousness is who God is. And your acts of righteousness are done when you are looking at Him and saying, I want to be like Him. And it's no more slavery if you don't care about what other people think, but ask, what will my Father like me to use with what He has given me? What will make Him think that I'm generous? See, ultimately, the amount that you give, it doesn't really matter. It's not that God needs it very much. It just shows you how much you want to be like Him. And so, therefore... Uh, a poor person can be generous with the little that they have and a rich person can be very stingy even though they give more than the poor person so it doesn't really matter what the amount is but our reward is to be like him to be righteous like him and of course the reward of looking after needy people after all that's the reason why they're giving so Mr. Generous only works if you've got a God who is generous that you're looking at. Next point, prayer. What's the impressive front that we put on when we pray? Now, uh, the hypocrite is the Hollywood actor who's walking around the places where Jesus lived looking for the best film set. And the best studios for filming the action at that time were the synagogue or the street corners. That's where the best actors performed. And the crowds would come and say, oh, I wish I could perform like that. But Jesus says, just please one person. That's all you have to do with your life. And when it comes to praying, just want closeness to him. And you get that when it's just you and him in the room and nobody else. So if you want closeness, just make it like that. You and him in the room and get talking. Now it's so easy, isn't it, for us to uh, pick the best prayers and see if we can learn from them. But the trouble is in verse 7 we can learn from the wrong models. So people might say to us, look, you don't know how to pray? Well, let me tell you how to pray. Use repeat words over and over again. The Hare Krishnas find it very useful. They can do the whole length of Oxford Street and back by just using repeat words. Hare Krishna, Hare Hare Krishna, Krishna Hare Hare Krishna, Hare Hare Hare. And they can keep it up and keep it down and before they all go home for their lunch of vegetables. Um, rosary, Roman Catholics uh, they've got their rosary beads and they go through certain set words as they go through each one or Muslims we might look at them and say well they are the big prayers aren't they they pray five times a day 
but they're speaking words that are in a different language that they don't understand, that are written by somebody else in the Quran. They're not their own words. And Jesus says all this amounts to empty phrases. You don't mean what you say because you don't understand what you're talking about. They're just words, empty words. Or we can maybe have many words. Now we can do that as Christians, can't we? Say we're praying for the Christingle service in a couple of Sundays' time, and we can cover all the details. We can pray for the buying of the oranges, the safety of children when we light the candles, all the way through all the details until we finally get to Dorothy serving coffee at the end. And everybody's very impressed with the lens because they've covered everything. But verse 8, if you look, brings great freedom, doesn't it? Because it tells us that we don't need to conform to how the people pray. We can just seek closeness because God knows all the details. You don't need to mention them. And in the Lord's Prayer, we don't go for details, we go for closeness. All the things there say ultimately it's the relationship that matters. So that he is your father. That means he will look after you if you don't pray. You don't need to worry a thing about asking for yourself. He knows what you need. Verse 8 tells you. So when he comes to talking to God, you can forget about yourself and concentrate on the relationship. And when you, when you talk to him, well, we're praying for closeness when we want what he wants, when we want his will to be done. Well, first, I'm sorry, I'm jumping a bit, aren't I? Uh, first, we pray for closeness in knowing who he is. He is a great father. And so, we can pray that his name will be honoured by other people seeing what a great father he is so that they can relate to him as their great father as well. That they would turn to him because of your prayer. That his name might be honoured. Now people say that, that if you haven't had a great father in your life, it's really hard to think of God as your father. But I want to suggest actually the opposite is true. Because if you've not had a great father, you will want this father more than anybody else who has had a good father. And so therefore, we can talk to him with that father in mind. With a perfect father in mind. And when we're talking, we ask for closeness. Now you only really have that closeness when his kingdom comes. So ask that he'll come. We want him here. And we're seeking closeness when we uh, want what he wants for his will to be done. And then he is our father, so we want to trust him. That's when we start talking about tomorrow's bread. That's what it literally means. Now this isn't God saying at this point in the prayer, I'm giving you permission to ask me for all the practical things that you need in your life. No, that's not what this is about. It's saying, Lord, teach me to trust you and give me contentment in you with my daily bread 
so that I don't go and complain against you the way that the people with Moses did when they were in the desert. Because that complaining wrecks closeness. I don't want to complain to you about you, Lord. Please help me to trust you and make me content. It's all about closeness. And interestingly, Jesus says at this point, we ask for forgiveness. Now, that's a lovely way of saying that uh, failure and sin never stops the conversation with God. You can talk to him as a father in so many different levels, for so many different areas, before you get to this point. And when you get to this point, you can ask him to forgive you because you want to be close to him and you don't want anything else in the way. And then you want to forgive others because he is our father. And if you want closeness with the father, you want closeness with the children of the father. And so what Jesus is saying is, look, when you have difficult relationships in your life, talk to me about them. Put those in the conversation and seek closeness with them. And then we ask him to deliver us from evil and temptation. Why? Because we know that we are weak and we are fragile and any second now we'll start walking away from him. So we pray, don't take us, let, don't let that happen, we want to be close. Now today, of course, we finish the Lord's Prayer usually by ending and thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever and so on. But Jesus doesn't finish the prayer like that in Matthew 14, uh, 6.14. He goes back to our broken relationships. Maybe because those are are the areas in which we have been tempted and failed, and maybe part of the temptation is that you might want closeness with God, but close, not closeness with other people. And so he finishes in Matthew 6.14 by saying, you can't have closeness with God and then have distance with others. We've got to keep the two together. So seek closeness with God, and pray for him and him alone. Now that does mean that in a moment in our service when we'll be asking people to pray, that you can't stand up now after reading Matthew chapter 6. Uh, everybody will think that you haven't learned to sing. But that's not what Matthew 6 is saying. The guts of it is that we don't do it for others. And so you can stand up and pray with all freedom, but forget the rest of us. And let the content of the prayer show that you're mainly wanting the outcome of close relationship with God, for yourself, and with others. Because ultimately that is what prayer is to bring about. And then lastly, uh, Mr. Fasting. This is only going to be short, but again, fasting is often seen, isn't it, as a thing you do uh, in Lent, usually a silly thing that you do in Lent, like give up chocolates or something completely unimportant like that. Or we think of fasting as even giving up something good to eat. And the Muslims do that at Ramadan, and they say fasting is you do not eat. But for the believer, they want to basically say that food is a good thing, but it can have a dulling effect on our lives, can't it? 
and especially on our spiritual lives. And so we might want there to be times when we effectively say we want God more than food. At the moment things are distant, distant from him and I want to be closer. I'll not, I'll skip a meal, I'll look for the closeness. In the Old Testament people fasted because when they were distant from God they asked him to come near. They fasted because when they had a particular crisis in their lives and didn't know what to do, they asked him to come near. And on the Day of Atonement, which is the one time in the Jewish calendar where everybody was told to fast, where the whole point of the Day of Atonement is that an animal died to bring you forgiveness so that you can come near. So fasting too is ultimately, it doesn't come through, uh, is about closeness. And that's what fasting is there to serve. And do it for his eyes and hide it from other eyes. That's what makes it righteous, not religious. Now can you just imagine what it would be like for a Muslim to give everybody the impression that he is not fasting when it comes to Ramadan. Because it says here, um, don't let anybody else know. So can you just imagine the Muslim trying his best at Ramadan to give everybody the impression that he's not fasting? It won't work, will it? Why? Because the community will look down on him. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't dare. But it shows what he really wants to do is to conform. And we want to do it because we want closeness. We do it with our eyes on him. Now how might that affect us? We're thinking through as we finish. First, if you're someone who's new, have you clocked how much you live for other people? And have you seen how that is a prison with loads of locks on, depending on the number of people that you know? Because all those opinions that you're trying to please is another lock on the door that will stop you uh, getting out. Now can you see tonight that Jesus is opening a great door of freedom if he's just to say to you, live for me, no one else. And it's a whole brand new life that opens up at that point. You start becoming like him, generous like him. You have a father to talk to when you're with him. You live with a desire to be closer and closer to him. Perhaps sometimes wanting him even more than you want food. That is the new life that the Lord Jesus opens up. Secondly, what if you've been to church a lot? Well, in some ways, the prison gets bigger, the trap is greater because now we have to fit in with church people. And remember Jesus says in verse 2 that the hypocrites are in the synagogues. So in other words, these words are really going to come home close to us. And what happens on Sundays, you put on one front and in the rest of the week, you put on another front. And the whole problem with that is we get so little out of it because the reward you want, the approval of other people, isn't going to make any difference. 
Do anything value added to your life. It's a rubbish reward. And Jesus is saying, I want you to live being free of that. Just fix your eyes on me and I will be your reward. And you will be righteous like me. What if you're a real believer? I asked myself after I finished all the work and I've sat down to think about it and I thought, okay, now what have you learned? And I think what I've learned is this. I've loved the freedom that this passage has opened up for me, the new door that's open now. But as I discovered and thought this through, I was more conscious of my slavery than I was before as well. I really live hard for the approval of other people. And I discovered that is a great trap. And it is just absolute freedom to live for one person. So here are three areas to review where you might be like me. Step out into freedom, leave prison, and start asking not what others think, but what's your giving like? Are you looking at a generous father or are you looking at something else? Uh, how much uh, you, you might, uh, if you're looking at your bank account or something like that. What's your praying like? Are you really wanting closeness when you pray? So that you've got God's concerns in your mind? Or are you just looking after yourself? Acting as if you've got a father who doesn't really know what you need, so you've got to tell him. What's your fasting like? Do you love food more than you love God? And these are things to work out with him. Because if you do these things, are you practicing righteousness or are you practicing religion? And I think it's probably true to say that if you're practicing religion, then you're really practicing reluctance. Think about it. If you want to give other people the impression that you're giving, but you don't really want to, then as long as no one's looking at you, you won't give a penny, if you can get away with it. You sit there week after week and you say, well, that's another week I've not had a collection come round, I don't have to pay. But what that shows is that actually, you're just in the prison of what people think and therefore you don't give if they're not thinking that you are. You might just give the impression that you are, but they weren't now. Or you might go along with praying in church, but if you aren't really praying at home, it shows that you don't really want to pray. It's good to be honest, isn't it? Because the way out of prison for us, if you're hearing this and working out how you might take it home, is to actually walk to him and take it up with him about your giving, about your praying, about how much you desire him or don't. Take it up with him 
and you find the prison door open and new freedoms are going to come and new life will begin. So it's a wonderful thing to, to really see how God is helping us in an area where we are all conforming and is just inviting us to closeness. That's what tonight is about. And it would be great for us to go quiet for a minute and to make a start saying, God help me. I didn't want to conform. I want to go close. That's probably all you can say in a minute, but say it. And maybe just think of areas where some of these things can be particularly uh, part of you. We'll take questions in a minute because I'm sure there'll be loads. But let's do the praying first. One minute and then I'll pray for us all after that. Let's go quiet and pray. Well, our meeting is up, so let me just pray briefly and we go for questions. Our gracious Father, we are so programmed uh, to pretend in front of others, to build the front. Please would you set us free to live for you and to live for you only. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.